Are you all ready for the Word of God tonight? Well, we've got a real treat for you. My wife's going to bring the Word of God tonight. And so I want you all to receive Pastor Patricia Gregory. So, Daddy, I just pray right now you bless your word. Cause it to penetrate into the hearts of your people. Cause it to bring forth the power that, that it does. And I thank you that none shall be lost. In fact, there will be an increase in your kingdom. 30, 60, 100 fold will be, will be produced as a result of your word, your power, your love, and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. How y'all doing? Do me a favor. Give, give three people a high five. Say, it's good to see you, mighty warrior. And you can take your seat. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm good. Thank you. Praise God. Is it okay if I'm down here on the floor, get a, lot of, a little intimate, you know, on a Wednesday night? And I might get a little wild, so I just don't want to be tempted to jump off of the stage. My husband has already given me several warnings not to jump off stages. Praise the Lord. Name of the service tonight is Let's Connect. Let's connect. We're going to dive right on into it because I need to inoculate you real quick with the Word of God and get you prepped for this weekend because y'all about to be blessed. Let's connect. Now, that word connect, according to dictionary.com, means to join, link, or fasten together, to unite or bind, to connect the two cities by a bridge, to establish communication between put in communication, to have as an accompanying or associated feature, to cause to be associated as a personal or business relationship, to connect oneself to a group of like-minded persons, I like that one a lot, to associate mentally and emotionally. How appropriate is that as we approach this Let's Connect weekend? So basically, what I'm here to do in my assignment for tonight is to just start marinating you for what to expect over the next couple of few weeks, several weeks in fact, as we dive into relationships. And the reason why we made it open to both non-married people and married people is because before you're ever married, you're still single. And while you're married, you better still be single. Probably not in status, but definitely in who you are in Christ. Your husband cannot stand before God for your, on your account. You can't stand before your in the stead of your husband before God on his account. Amen? So the point of this weekend as we discuss relationship is to really garner and to really hone in on the significance and the power of one as it becomes the power of two. Now, the state of relationships, not just marriage, but just pure human interaction in general on various levels have become strained, has become so political, politically convoluted, no pun intended, um, and just dislodged from God's original intent for his creation. So because Linked Up Church, you know, Linked Up Church is very intentional about relationships because God is very intentional about relationships. Amen. 
So let me read to you some stats. This is Bible study, and I love doling out how either God can attack statistics or how statistics support God. So here we go, some information for your nowhere. Number one, in 1960, 72% of American adults were married, but today only 50% of Americans are married. Number two, 45% of, of marriages end in divorce, according to data and studies shown. But this is thanks to the millennials. How about that? Because seven, five to seven years ago, the divorce rate was at 52%. But what they're finding is more and more millennials are not only getting married, but they're staying married. How about that? Yeah. Well, the ones that get married stay married. Now, let's talk about why. Number three. The reason why is because more and more people, younger people, in fact, are waiting later to get married. The average age today for a woman getting married is 27. The average age for men today is 29. We were 30 and 28 when we got married because the social studies have shown the more mature or the older you are when you get married, the, more, the longer your marriage is bound to last. Neoplastic surgery, neoplastic, neoplastic, here I am trying to use big words. Um, science has already proven that and has shown that the human brain ain't finished. I said ain't. It's, it's ain't finished developing until you're around 25 years old. For your per so your personality at the age of 20 versus the age of 30 is going to be vastly different. In fact, they say that it's the, eight, the 20 decade of human development that more, so many social and maturing uh, uh, evolvement happens. But another thing is that, number four, the divorce rate is down, especially among millennials, and today the marriage looks different because more people are not only getting married later, but that whole later issue is because they want to finish college and become more financially stable. My husband, the father of a college student, is clapping over there. But more people are saying, hey, I need my education so that I can secure a better source of employment or career, what have you, so that I can be financially stable, so that I can now, I just choose to believe that they took the teachings of G5G and just spread it throughout the country covertly, because we've been teaching this for 20, 25 years, amen. No, but that's, that's where it is. Number five, the number of Americans living in an, uh, with an unmarried partner, however, has jumped. There's about 18 million people living together. This is up 29% since 2007. So now you have some variations on what that divorce rate looks like and what the marriage rate looks like because less people are getting married, but more people are living together. Okay? Now, this is what was interesting. So roughly right now, half of those that are cohabiting are younger than the age of 55. But the most aggressively growing population of people living together are aged 50 and over. they like, listen, been there, done that. I'm going to shack up because I ain't going to lose my 50%. <laughs> Number six, people are more loyal to their party than they are to their faith. What does that mean? About 4 in 10 Americans, 39% who have married since 2010 have a spouse who is of a different religious group compared to only 19% who, of those who wed in 1960. According to the, this is all from the um, Pew Research Center. 
survey. Many of these interfaith marriages are between Christians and those who are religiously unaffiliated. There's a whole lot of missionary dating going on out there. Single folks, the word of God. Bring it back, bring it back. Meanwhile, marriages and partnerships across political party lines are relatively rare in the U.S. Large majorities of members of both political parties say their spouse or their partner belong to the same party. So basically, I'd rather marry you knowing that you're a Democrat or that you're a Republican rather than knowing that you're a Christian. Number seven, remarriage is on the rise. Praise the Lord. How many people or divorcees do we have here that are still not married? All right. Remarriage is on the rise. You need to say hallelujah. But you want to hear something astounding? This shocked me when I read it. Remarriage is on the rise. In 2013, 23% of people had been married before that got married compared to just 13% in 1960. Four in 10 new marriages in 2013 include a spouse that said, I do at least once before. And in 20% of the new marriages, both spouses have been married at least once before. Now, this is the interesting statistic. 64% of men who were either divorced or widowed are getting married again but only 52% of the women are. More and more women are saying, no, I don't need, I don't need marriage. But the men are saying, no, I want to get remarried again. That was interesting to me. Number eight, online dating is up 18%. Put your phones down. Put your phones down if you're single. Put your phones down. Shut down the Tinder app, whatever it is that's out there. 18% online dating is up, and more people are married today because of online relationship sites. I think some of them met online. How about that? So this is some interesting statistics, and this is just a little, the summit of some of the things that I found. So now you see why, as Christians, we need to be intentional about relationships. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about just how we treat one another. Social sciences and family science counselors have found that this I generation and the millennial generation, our younger people, some of you that are out there, are more comfortable with, you aren't, you're, none of y'all better be, none, none of you all are in Jesus' name. None of you are, but what they're finding out there okay. is that millennials in this generation I, they're more comfortable uh, having hookups than 15-minute face-to-face conversations with people that they just meet. Now, let's dive on in. Let's now see what the Word of God has to say about relationships. And there's some quips in here, some, some short little nuggets that's just r- right there. One of my passions, one of the things that I know God deposited both within my husband and myself is the ministry regarding re- relationships. I love people. When I tell you, if you're talking about a relationship, we can go up and down through the scripture and and dissertate, whatever, scripture, because I love not only people and relationships, but I love what God has to say about people and relationships, because the reason he created us was for that reason, relationships. So as we dive in, let's talk about some things. So 
This weekend is important for a few reasons. So number one, why are we broaching this topic, <coughs> excuse me, this topic of relationships? Number one, relationships are important to God. Thus, they should be important to us and for us. <coughs> All right. Relationships are important to God, thus should be important to us, and they're important for us. The core of our existence is founded upon God's desire to have a willful relationship with his creation. Not by force or mandate, mandate as with the angels, but a willful desire to love and be loved. In the beginning, God created relationships. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 <clears throat> Verse 26 through 28, I'm going to read from the message. It says, and God spoke. I love the way they broke this down. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflect in our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth, God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting his nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then God, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. The entire Bible has been written, organized, and preserved by means of God's relationship with human beings, our relationship with one another, and yes, even our relationship with the devil. I'm not going to talk about that one because we do have one. Amen. And what it should be is that we have authority over him. So this entire book is about connections and relationships. The supreme aim in all Christianity is relationships, fellowship with God and one another. Pastor Gregory just got through ministering a few weeks ago on Call Me. Relationship response. Then last week, ministering on the vision of Linked Up Church, join a small group, get plugged in, get connected. You are not an island unto yourself. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 in the New King James, it says here, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your, your joy may be full. What, there's, what John is saying right here is that, hey, we've seen it. We touched him. We felt him. We heard him. We smelled him. We know that this is power. We know that this is love. We know that this is freedom. We know that this is victory. And we're here to share it with you so you can have it too. And not only so you can have it, but so that your joy can be full. God wants fellowship with his people, and he wants his people to have fellowship with one another. That word fellowship in the Greek is the Greek word koinonia, which is translated as communion, oneness, and camaraderie. I don't have to have you in my phone directory to see you on the street and say, hey, how you doing? We don't have to be BFFs and you come to my house for Christmas dinner in order for me to just get something in my spirit. I just text somebody today. 
all the way up in, well, actually, I two, talked to two of our kids today. One was in Florida who lives in Las Vegas. The other one's in Michigan who just happened to be in California. Just say, hey, I'm thinking about you, love you, praying for you. And she, one of them responded, and she, she said, hey, I'm looking at somebody right now. I was just about to text you, and she look and sound just like you. It is strange. <laughs> and the other one, he called me back saying, I got issues. Let's talk about these issues. I need my wife. I need some help with my wife. But anyway, regardless if they were really thinking about me or whatever was going on, I reached out to them. And sometimes I need somebody to reach out to me. Amen. Amen. Number two, the first four chapters. Now we're getting into some knowers. Some knowers. The first four chapters of Genesis ask six dynamic questions about how we relate to God and each other. And the enemy has a strategy to separate us, and that's been from day one, from God and from one another. And with every attack, there needs to be some things you need to know. A good strategy comes with a good defense, but a good defense has to be based on some knowledge, some things that you know. Amen? So we're about to dive into just some very practical things that I found in Genesis 1 through 4. A, the first one, no God. No God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? No one understand that the enemy is constantly challenging you on what you know about God. And his main question has always been, Really? Did he really say that? Did he really say that? How you know he said that? Where he say that at? Is that what he really meant? How many, am I the only one? Now, you know, I didn't know. I was a little kid. And my godmother, Ms. Edna Stevenson, God bless her soul, in the second or third grade would tell me, don't you sleep with nobody until you get married. That's what God tells us, and that's what you're going to do. Don't you sleep with nobody until you get married. I don't know nothing about no Bible, but I just trust it because Edna Stevenson said it. It must have been true. God don't want me to sleep with nobody. But when you're in the second or third grade, you mean you thinking don't get in bed with nobody. You're not thinking anything beyond really sleeping with anybody. <laughs> and so then when my cousins and stuff then would come over and we would all sleep, and she would say, no boy. So when we were all sleeping, you know, we would have a house full of people and they would come over and we would all, you know how you do when you're, little and you're from the city or whatever, about five of y'all are getting inside of a bed, right? Boys, girls, all of us inside the bed. And I'm thinking, something's going to happen to me. I'm sleeping with my cousin Jimmy. Something's going to happen to me. Nothing happened. And I'm thinking, did God really say that? And then starts the trail of, did God really say that? Sometimes it shows up, is it really that deep? Does it take all that? Better yet, everybody's doing it. Or, ain't nobody doing that. Ain't nobody saving themselves until marriage. But everybody's doing it. Or this here one, God understands. We're just human. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And right now, my flesh is weak. Amen. 2 Timothy verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 5 through 7 in the Passion says, they may pretend to have respect for God. Now, I just got to talking about in the last days, perilous times will come. And he lists all the characteristics and the, and the demonic uh, uh, 
characteristics of what's going on in the heart of man. And he says, they may pretend they have respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these, for they are the ones who worm their way into the hearts of vulnerable women, spending the night with those who are captured by their lust and steeped in sin. They're always learning, but never discover the revelation knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, but don't have revelation. And the revelation is what keeps you, is what convicts you to stay right. But listen, you don't get revelation because revelation requires relationship. B, know you. Know you. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 8. Now, this is after they had eaten from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, they heard a sound from the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Be real with yourself. There's two dynamics that the enemy does with our identity, and he perverts both dynamics. Either he makes us think we're less than we really are, or he makes us think that we're more than we really are. And we have to sit back and really assess ourselves, judge ourselves to know how and who we really are. You cannot tempt me with pornography. It just can't happen. But don't put me in a room by myself with chocolate cake. I'm going to fall. I'm going to, I might eat the whole thing. I just have to be real with myself. If you freaky, then know that you're freaky. If you're mean, then know that you're mean. If you're a people pleaser, know that you're a people pleaser. God says, speak those things that be not as though they are. He never says, speak those things that be as though they are not. He said, confess our faults in James to one another so that what? We can be healed. Not confess our sin. You don't need to tell nobody the sin you did, but deal with you. And sometimes it's helpful to say, babe, I, I mean, my daughter, I just had one with my daughter. She told me I was moody. When I'm hungry, I have issues. <laughs> and at first, I argued with her. I was like, no, because I know when I'm getting hungry, and I'm, I'm in control of my mood. She said, no, mom, for real. This is, this is hot off the press, because this was just last night on the way home. <laughs> no, mama, you for, for real, you are moody, and you are mean when you're hungry. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Be honest with where you are, your struggles. No one is there. No one is where they should be, but we all need to be where, acknowledge where we need to be and get there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, the Passion Translation, it says, Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God demonstrated first to us. Anyone can say, I love God yet have hatred toward another believer, this makes him a phony because you don't love a brother or a sister whom you can't, if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can't see, how can you truly love God who you cannot see? For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. Do you have issues with unforgiveness? Do you have issues with trust? Do you have issues with anger? Do you have issues, you know how many married women are offended with their husbands or how many married men are offended with their wives? These are things that we have to face. 
and deal with them. Because we can pretend that they're not there only for them to come up and then we're wondering why we're on the merry-go-round. See, know your source. Know your source. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, if you've been around me a little bit, you know I break this one down. I don't have time for that tonight. But that word naked is different from the first naked in Genesis chapter 2. Two different words. Genesis chapter 2 naked said means that they were pure. They were organic. They were just original by design. But this naked means they were unsheltered. They were uncovered. They were exposed. And God says, who told you that I left you? Who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you that that's going to creep back up? Who told you that I can't use you? Who told you you don't deserve a good marriage? Who told you you don't deserve a healthy body because it's been hereditary in your genetic pool? Check your source. Where are you getting... You want to come on up here with me, baby. Where are you getting your information? If you're not getting it from there, then it's of the enemy. And is subject to change. Every day, all day. Listen, identity theft ain't nothing new. The enemy has been on the hunt for your name and social security number for a long time. First Peter chapter three, chapter five, verse eight. It says, "Be sober, be diligent, because you're be vigilant, because vigilant, because your enemy, the adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he whom he may devour." Understand that in that scripture, he can't just walk up and take anybody. He has to look for a wormhole. He has to look for a slip. And once he finds you in that vulnerable position, he's like. He pounces right on you, and then with the way he does it by what you, is by what you think. I'm 50 years old. I ain't been married. I'm all by myself. I got a lot of my biological clock ticking. And blah, 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 blah. And blah, 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 blah. Oh, she hurt me. And these women, all these women ain't nothing but chicken heads. No, they can't trust nobody. <laughs> D, know your what. Know your what. After Adam and Eve fell, now, G, now God is on the, on the floor and he's confronting them. And the first says, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is that? What is, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Know your what? What have you done? What have you done? See, know and understand. We, many of us... And I love you. Not, I love you. I love you. I love you. It's not always candy, cake, and, and cookies. It's not. So I, I just really want to, impart, I believe the Holy Spirit really wants to lay this foundation as we get ready for a good time this weekend. But what have you done? Oftentimes, we play or subscribe to being the victim. They hurt me. They betrayed me. They stole from me. They lied to me. They did this to me. And they did that to me. But at the end of the day, somebody, you got to know and trust, somebody out there right now is telling somebody else that Patricia Gregory lied to me. Patricia Gregory deceived me. Patricia Gregory betrayed me. Patricia Gregory, I can name somebody right now that's probably telling somebody Patricia Gregory stole from me. That old roommate from 1990. 
I did, but she owed it to me. No, it's just... <laughs> oh, thank God for Jesus. Stretch your hands towards me. And I can't say nothing about it. I have to take responsibility for what I've done. I thank God that Eve had enough sense to say, when God said, what did you do? The, the enemy deceived me, and I did believe him, and I did eat. A lot of times, we can't move forward because we haven't taken responsibility for what we've done. Let me tell you, when September 13th, uh, September 16th, uh, 2013 happened, we, for those of you that don't know, we was fired from a church, okay? We were the pastors, and we were fired. I just put it plain. I'm not, I'm not real good at being diplomatic. Just make it plain for you. We were publicly, uh, humiliate, humiliatingly fired. Did I think he was wrong? Yes. Was it based off of lies? Yes. Did I want to cut him up? Yes. But then as time evolved and God started dealing with my heart, and I got this sweet woman named Betty Price calling me every three or four days, telling me, now, now precious, just know that when the ways of man pleases the Lord, he'll cause even your enemies to be at peace with you. She would, I mean, she would, I think she just used that to meditate in my ear. And I thank God for it. But after a while, me, because I'm thinking, I ain't do nothing. You mad at him. Why you firing me? I ain't nowhere on that list of mess you talking about. And then you gonna fire me? Let's keep some kind of income coming into the household. No, but I did have to rewind. And God showed me me even in that situation. Now you got about 2,000, almost 3,000 people that's like, he wrong, he wrong, he wrong. Going in. The Desir family was like, we going in. They was going in. I mean, I, I ain't need no lawyer or advocate. <laughs> that family all by them because you know it's a lot of them. <laughs> but when it happened, yes, he was wrong, but God showed me me in that situation. That had to up my honor. I had to keep my mouth shut. And even though what I was said was in innocence, I have to be careful of what I say, how I say it, because I can tr control what I do with what I say, but I can't control where other people take it. No one understand this. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He didn't. He came to make dead people live. He said, I came so that they may have life and that more abundantly. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a whole bunch of good people going to hell. But when we have life, we reproduce life. And that life is in Christ Jesus. E, know your who. Know your who. Sound like Dr. Seuss. Know your who. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9b now we're over into after the fall has happened, Adam and Eve have had a couple of sons, and they're out in the field. Cain rises up against, I mean, yeah, Cain rises up against Abel, and he kills Abel. God is like, once again, what, what, what's going on? What you do? And now 
he says, where's your brother? Now, unlike his mama, he says, why are you asking me? Am I my brother's keeper? So that's your next question. Know your who. Know your who. Understand that fruitful relationships are necessary in your life. You cannot make it by yourself. So it does not help you. I don't care who wronged you. It does not help you to harbor that, keep that, and think that you can go on without getting that right. Whether I'm not saying you need to go and write 25 letters of apologies, but you have to settle some things in your heart by those other points that I just made. Know your who. Who hurt you and seemed to be keeping you back? Who are you blaming? Better yet, who do you need to deposit in? Who do you need to call? Who do you need to love on? If you're in, at odds with your mother, your father, your sister, or your brother, somebody, understand, if there's somebody that's just you stuck with, there's people that we just stuck with. You can't get rid of that crazy cousin. We just stuck with him. And we went to harbor. Do you know there are fathers and sons that haven't spoken in 10, 15, 20 years? and wondering why each of them have relationships that's just busted because they walk around scathed, scarred, and severed in their thinking because of what happened. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 in the Passion Translation says, My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with the fall, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you are too important to stoop down to help another, you're living in deception. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given to them to do with excellence, and their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not being affirmed by others. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. We are called to help but not enable. I don't want you to get it twisted now. We are called to help, to love, to support, but not enable. Sometimes, I can't tell you how many times I felt badly because I just wasn't moved to help in a situation. I wasn't, because a lot of times we just feel like we're supposed to just be Chase Bank. Or Molly Maids. Or Chef Boyardee. Or the counselor everlasting. But do you know, God, one time I felt bad about a situation. I felt badly. And God told me, you were never called to be me. And the issue is that they will not reach out to me, but they'll reach out to everybody else. Okay? Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. We work together. And believers, we work together. A lot of people are offended in church because they got an experience that they just didn't think should be happening in church. They didn't speak to me. I was gone for six weeks and no one reached out to me. And a lot of times, it's that person that's called to be that compassionate voice that says, I'm going to pay attention to anybody I don't see for six weeks and reach out to them. I'm going to start a missing in action hotline. Instead of taking the posture of being offended. Jesus says, woe to those that are offended. Amen.
F, know the final why. Know the final why. In the final letter that John wrote, Revelations, we learn of the promises of Jesus' return. And the term church or churches in this book alone is mentioned over 19 times, more than any other book in the Bible. God talks about the church more than 19 times. And we're not even mentioning gathering, meeting together, coming together. He mentions it over 19 times in the church. Because, see, he's not coming back for Patricia. He's not coming back for Joel. He's not coming back for Johnny. He's not coming back for Lisa, for Jade, for Jennifer, for April. He's not just coming back for those people. He's coming back for his church. In other words, he's coming back for people that are connected. Amen. He's coming back to people to, for a people that's gathered together, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Because, see, you are my body. I'm coming back to get my body. And one person don't make up his body. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says here, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciple, if you love one to another. Don't nobody know who we are in the church these days because oftentimes we're judging and not loving. So know this, this weekend we'll be talking about relationships, yes. But before we talk about how we relate to one another, let's go home and take a good assessment of how we're dealing with ourselves. Take inventory of our emotional self, our relational self, our attitudes, our hurts, our pains, our unapologetics and the apologies that we owe. Let's take time out to have discussions, even if it's with your friends in small groups, on what did God say about my situation? Where am I in my relationships? Who told me and why do I believe that? What have I done? What responsibility have I taken? What changes have I made? And am I being my brother or my sister's keeper? And I, am I living up to the why? As to what God put me on this earth to do. You cannot prosper without having healthy relationships. Amen. So all this is so that we can better join, link, bridge, unite, combine, fasten, communicate, associate, establish, accompany, ultimately connect to one another. Amen. Amen. So now as I wrap this up, I don't want to be, it's Bible study, but you never know who comes here and just isn't sure about their spiritual status. So right now, you know, speaking of relationships, it was 1993, 1994, the end of 1994, I had been involved with some serious, you know, I had two serious relationships. I was engaged once before and his name wasn't Joel Gregory. And I had got.